Acts chapter 4, verse number 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by which means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Heavenly Father, we pray that you'd minister your word to us this morning. Convict the lost. Encourage the saints. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As you have probably recognized, our scripture is a part of Peter's defense after the healing of the blind man at the beautiful gate of the temple. When he spoke of the stone which is set at naught, but which became the head of the corner, when Peter spoke of the stone that was rejected by the builders, he took those leaders of Israel back into some Old Testament scriptures that were quite well known to them. The thought was first introduced in Psalm 118, which we read a few minutes ago. That was picked up by Isaiah and Zechariah as they referred to it. It was highlighted by the Lord Jesus so prominently that it is recorded in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The theme of the stone which was set at naught was so well known by the Jews that Paul pointed to it several times and Peter brought it up in his first epistle. But I have to mention that in some of these contexts where this stone was mentioned, it's mentioned with a different purpose. I'll refer to some of these other purposes, but I'm primarily concerned with Peter's application here. Neither is there salvation in any other. The other day in my devotional reading, I ran across a statement which pushed me a little off kilter for a few minutes. I've always pictured the rejected cornerstone in a metaphorical way. It is Christ, the rejected Messiah. That is definitely one of the correct and biblical ways to understand this rejected stone. Definitely biblical doctrine. But the author of this devotional, a man unknown to me, made this statement. Besides its emblematical meaning, that statement commemorates a real transaction, a literal occurrence in the building of Solomon's temple. When a certain stone designed for the head cornerstone was rejected by the builders and cast away as useless. But as no other stone could supply its place, either from necessity or divine warning, 
the once despised stone was sought out and exalted to the position for which it had been designed by the divine architect who himself was superintending the building of his house. End of quote. If you'll remember, David wanted to build a temple under the Lord in Jerusalem, but God forbade him. In 1 Corinthians 22, David was told that because he was a man with blood on his hands, the Lord didn't want him to build a temple. However, his son Solomon was given permission to move ahead with what David initially wanted to do. At that point, David began to gather uh, a great deal of gold, timber, and stones, cut stones, for the temple when it was completed by his son. It is said that skilled workers and engineers cut the beautiful stones for the walls of the tabernacle off-site, way over there. Then after the death of David, in 2 Chronicles 2, Solomon and Huram assembled the temple, starting with the pre-prepared materials that David had laid aside. The temple was put together like a modern log cabin mansion destined to be hidden in the woods, but it was all cut and labeled at a site down in the valley where it was easy to work and then uh, eventually transported to the hillside of that mountain. And that takes us back to the quote that I just shared with you. Just as the construction began, the first and most important stone was considered unacceptable. But then it was recognized that there was no other and no better stone than the original one. Do I have proof that it actually took place? Have I read it in any other source? I have not. I have no proof. It does make sense. And it does answer perhaps some questions about where this thought originated. But uh, that's all I can say. But as I said, it was one of the psalmists who first applied this illustration. Return to Psalm 118, if you would please. Verses 14 through 23. We notice, I hope that you remember, that the subject is salvation. And the penman was actually in some fear of death. The Lord's chastisement was on him to some degree. But he pleads for an entrance into the Lord's palace. And he promises that he will offer the sacrifices of praise. Of course, only the righteous can enter such a holy place. So how can this man? It is possible because he says, Thou art become my salvation. The stone which the builders refused has become the head of the cornerstone, has become the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Let's read it again, verse 14. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tabernacles of the righteous, 
The right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. The Lord hath chastened me sore, but he hath not given me over unto death, eternal death. Open to me the gates of righteousness, and I will go in them, into them, and I will praise the Lord. This gate of the Lord into which the righteous shall enter, I will praise thee, for thou hast heard me, and art become my salvation. The stone which the builders refused has become the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Now let me remind you that the New Testament tells us, clearly tells us, that this headstone of the corner is Christ Jesus. It is the Lord Jesus. And why did Christ, the Son of God, come into this world? We are told clearly over and over again that he came to, become, to be a ransom for many. He came to be the Savior. He came to give his life. As Peter told the leadership of Israel, Christ Jesus is the stone which is said of not of you builders has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So the subject of Peter is essentially the subject of the psalmist back there in 118. Why am I bringing this lesson? Why am I trying to preach this message? Because like that psalmist so many years ago, you need this Savior. Yes. Because like those self-righteous Jews angrily looking at Peter, we all need this Savior. There is no other Savior than Jesus of Nazareth. There is no other salvation except through his sacrifice on the cross. We need to cry out with the psalmist, Open to me the gates of righteousness, and I will go in and will praise the Lord. The gate of the Lord into which the righteous shall enter, and this chief cornerstone, is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. The Old Testament evangelical prophet Isaiah referred to this rejected cornerstone on more than one occasion. I'll just take you to one. Please turn to Isaiah 28. Isaiah 28, 14 sounds very much like a text Peter could have used on that day when he was standing before uh, Israel's rulers. Isaiah 28, 14. Wherefore hear the word of the Lord, ye scornful men that rule this people which is in Jerusalem. Well, wouldn't that have been a slap across the face? Because ye have said, we have made a covenant with death, and with hell are we at agreement. When the overflowing scourge shall pass through, it shall not come unto us. For we have made lies our refuge, and under falsehood have we hid ourselves. 
Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation stone, a tried, proven stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure salvation, and he that believeth shall not make haste. Peter was standing before the high priest and his liberal, Bible-denying, Sadducee friends men who were in league with the Greeks and the Romans, the only reason they were in power is because they made covenants with one another. Essentially, they were living under a covenant by which they thought they would prosper. They have made a covenant, however, with death. And they thought that would spare them. But in just a few years, they were slaughtered. The deal with the Romans didn't produce what they intended. In the New Testament, those words, thou shalt not make haste, are explained by Peter as, shalt not be confounded. And by Paul, they shall not be ashamed. Not make haste, not confounded, not ashamed. The person who puts his faith in Christ will never have reason to regret that decision. The person who has genuine faith in the Lord will never have any reason to hastily run away from the profession that he has made in Christ. Matthew 21, Mark 12, Luke 20 all tell us about some of Christ's lessons as he was getting closer and closer to Golgotha. They come after his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. So he is in Jerusalem. He's just hours away from the cross. By this time, the Son of God has presented himself to the builders, the leadership of the nation. The cornerstone of the kingdom is right in front of them. But he didn't look good enough for them didn't fulfill what they expected. So it was from under the shadow of the cross, Jesus saith unto them, Did you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner? This is the Lord's doing, it is marvelous in our eyes. Did you never read that? Therefore I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken. But on whosoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. And the chief priests and Pharisees heard his parables. When they heard his parables, they perceived that he spake of them. Very perceptive. At that point, they tried to arrest and take Christ, and they couldn't do it. As they say, there are several hours yet to the cross. As I said, that statement which I just read came in the midst of Jesus' teaching in Jerusalem, which included a number of parables. But this was in no way parabolic. This is pure and simple prophecy. This is going to happen. 
Not only was the kingdom of Israel going to be crushed and turned to dust by Titus, the Roman, in 70 AD, but the blessing of the gospel was soon to be shared among the Gentile nations around the world. When Jesus said, Whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. This was spoken as a promise. This is coming. Those who would turn against Christ, falling on him with a desire to rid themselves of his preaching of righteousness and repentance, wanting to kill and crucify him, they would be broken in their attempt. But even more importantly, that rejected stone would return to crush those men and all others who failed to put their faith in Christ Jesus. And yet, in the words of Peter, this is the stone which was set of not, set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other. There's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. All of that is the introduction to a very short sermon. Gleaning from several of these scriptures, we see that this cornerstone is, in truth, three important things. Precious, dangerous, and salvation to us. In both Old Testament and New Testament scriptures, the cornerstone is said to be precious. In the providence of God, as I was starting to consider this message Thursday, Judy and I were reading from Spurgeon's devotional book, Morning and Evening. I always read one or the other, whichever one grabs me, and for some reason or other, I chose this one. I'm just going to share it with you. For February 8th, Spurgeon highlighted the name Jesus. And he said, When a person is dear, everything connected with him will become dear for his sake. Mm. Thus, so precious is the person of the Lord Jesus in, is in the estimation of all true believers that everything about him they consider to be inestimable beyond Christ. Certain it is that there's not a spot where the hallowed foot has walked. There's not a word which those blessed lips have uttered, nor a thought which his loving word has revealed, which is not to us precious beyond price. And this is true of the names of Christ. They're all sweet in the believer's ear. Whether he be called the husband of the church, her bridegroom, her friend, whether he be styled the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, the king, the prophet, or the priest, every title of our master, Shiloh, Emmanuel, wonderful, mighty counselor, every name is like the honeycomb dropping with honey, and luscious are the drops that distill from it. And one of the names of the titles that our scriptures add to Spurgeon's list is Cornerstone. 
1 Peter 2, 6. Also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. I won't try to dazzle you with any logic or flowery words about what it is to be precious. You understand that word. Things which are rare are said to be precious. Things and people which we especially love are precious to us. Sometimes things which are important or essential are said to be precious. More importantly, what God declares to be valuable is exceedingly precious. As Spurgeon said, everything about our Savior is inestimable beyond all price. Even in this title, we have some honeycomb dripping with honey and luscious of the drops that distill from it. A proper foundation can be considered important, even precious. Jesus said, I will liken the man who builds upon Christ unto a wise man which buildeth his house upon a rock. In contrast to the preciousness, point number two, I told you we'd move quickly. In contrast to the preciousness of this cornerstone, to those who trust and build on him, this cornerstone is incredibly dangerous to those who reject him. Isaiah exhorts Israel in chapter 8 of Isaiah, which we didn't read earlier. Verse number 8, sanctify the Lord of hosts himself. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread, and he shall be your sanctuary. When sinners come to understand how wretched they are in the sight of God, when they realize how sinful they are in the sight of the absolute holy God, when they look on God with fear and reverence, acknowledging that judgment is coming and they deserve that judgment, when sinners approach the Lord in humble repentance and faith, he becomes their sanctuary. He becomes their holy place. But the next verse, the next verse says that this same Lord of hosts will be for a stone of stumbling and for a rock of offense. And many shall stumble and fall and be broken and be snared and be taken. And what follows that? Revelation 20. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Verse after verse, which speak about this chief cornerstone, also speak about the danger which he is to them who have not laid their souls upon this rock. Jesus said, whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. The most horrible day in human history has not taken place yet. It was not the day that the music died, February 5th of uh, 59. 
It was not the day that Archduke Ferdinand was shot down and uh, then began the war to end all wars, which ended absolutely nothing. It was not the day that your precious grandmother left this world. The most horrible day in human history will be that day which is described in Revelation 20. When the dead, small and great, shall stand before God to be condemned to eternal judgment. And one of the factors exacerbating that horrible day will be the fact that the judge who condemns these unbelievers is in fact the Savior, potentially, for them today. The chief cornerstone on which to build a wonderful eternal life will crush those that do not build that life, place their faith there. The stone upon which eternal life could have been founded will be at that time the stone which will grind the unbeliever to powder. That will be the saddest, most horrific day in the existence of humanity. But I can conclude with some good news. The divine cornerstone is the salvation to those who trust him. Zechariah, in chapter 3, speaks of God's servant, the branch, which is a name for Christ. The stone, which is another title for Christ. Zechariah is preaching and prophesying to Israel. Not to us, but to Israel. And he concludes his thought by saying, And I will remove the iniquity of the land in one day. There will be a glorious day for Israel. It hasn't taken place yet. It's coming. Zechariah was speaking about a future day. One day the chief cornerstone will graciously forgive Israel for her sins and will remove her iniquity. While not exactly referring to Zechariah, the Apostle Paul in Romans 9 refers to Israel, the nation from which he comes, and then moves on to people who are not Israelites. He moves on to us when he says, Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. The testimony of Thomas Chalmers. Why didn't they attain to righteousness? Because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. They stumbled at the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Listen to those last words. Whosoever believeth on him shall not ever be ashamed. Right. Why shall the believer not be ashamed? Because the chief cornerstone, this rock of offense to Israel and so many others, will have become the foundation of the believer's eternal security. 
For other foundation can no man lay than is laid, which is Christ Jesus. 1 Peter 3.11 And with that, I return to Peter's offensive defense before the leaders of Israel. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people, ye elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man by the means, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you and to all Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye fell upon, crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. The stone which was set at naught of you builders is become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other. Right. Amen. This chief cornerstone, this rock of offense, this judge of all men, is also the precious Savior to those who will repent and trust him. Many have done so. Some 60 years ago, I did. I put my faith in Christ. As unworthy as I was, still am, He is worthy. He is precious. He is able. Will you join the many others who have believed on Christ? I beg of you, Admit that you are a worthless individual. But at the same time, trust that Christ the Savior is capable of saving unworthy wretches like Amen. us. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Thou shalt be saved. Please stand.